What's up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of the Professional Athlete Podcast. We are joined today by legendary strength and conditioning coach, Joe Big House Ken. What a fantastic nickname, by the way. <laughs> coach Ken, if you don't know, has over 30 plus years of strength and conditioning experience. Uh, he's worked at the high school, collegiate, and professional level within the NFL. Most recently, he was a strength and conditioning coach for the Carolina Panthers, and over the course of his tenure there, received multiple prestigious awards, one being the NFL Strength and Conditioning Coach of the Year. He was also recognized by the NSCA, who we talk about a lot today, <laughs> as the Professional Strength and Conditioning Coach of the Year. I mean, look, there's about another dozen awards that he has to his name, and I'll spare you the time, but I'll tell you what I think is the great, greatest measure of a man or woman. Is it someone that you would want to have a beer with? And I will tell you right now, and you'll probably get the sense after listening to the show, it's a resounding yes. Incredibly entertaining, so, so kind and willing to share all of the information that he has kind of accumulated over the years with those who are eager to learn and get better. That really comes through in this episode, but uh, if you know anything about him, he, he does a lot of presentations and he really does share the wealth, so to speak. And you know, on that note, I would be remiss if I did not mention the guy who introduced me to Coach Ken, and that would be one of the many coaches in my own life who made a lasting and profound impact, and that would be Judd Hunter, football coach and track coach out of Arlington, Washington. He's the absolute man, and he's probably busy helping young men and women grow up to be great people and fantastic athletes. So Judd, if you're listening, thanks for the intro. Back to Coach Ken, he's also authored multiple books, uh, one of which we're going to cover in detail <laughs> during today's show. He shares some great stories. And look, listening back, and I, I listen to all of these so that I can do the takeaways at the end with my wife, Sonia Gunter, and it went a little long, and honestly, th there was enough here that I probably could have divided this into two different shows, but you know what? If you're here to listen to Coach Ken, you're going to love everything that's in this one. Uh, and quite frankly, it's it's going to fly by. But if you did come here hoping to learn about a specific topic, I'm going to throw you a bone and help you out. The first hour is going to be an awesome conversation. Coach Joe is going to talk a little bit about who he is and, and where he is today and how he got to be there. We're going to cover uh, <laughs> where he grew up. Uh, some great stories there. The people and places that shaped him as a coach and a person, as well as a lot of stories that you've probably never heard about. You know, what he did back in the 90s was pretty innovative and, and quite frankly, went against the grain. And so he's going to talk about exactly what that experience was like. The second half of this show and it's going to be right around the one hour mark, we're going to dive into a lot of the training specifics. So if you came here and you want to learn more about the tier system, his perspective on programming, that's going to start there. My feelings will not be hurt if you jump ahead. So please feel free. But we also cover just, uh, you know, a lot of life advice comes through in this one, quite frankly. This was one of those shows where when I was trying to do the takeaways, the list got so long that I finally just threw my hands up because everything seemed to be a nugget. So again, really enjoyed this one. On that note, if you're likewise enjoying the show, please do leave us a rating and a review wherever you're listening. We really appreciate it. It goes a, a long way. And I just checked this more. I think we're now in 50 different platforms uh, and it's been listened to in over 60 different countries, which is just mind blowing. So thank you to everyone who's listening. It, we greatly appreciate it. And to all those who have reached out, 
Thank you. Love hearing from you. Love to hear what you're thinking of the show. If you have any thoughts, recommended topics, things you're interested in, please send that through as well. I love trying to track down uh, guests and speakers who can help shed some light on the stuff you're interested in. So please don't hesitate to reach out and I will get back to you as soon as I can. Man, with that, I don't want to talk any longer. Let's just get to the show here. So with that, please welcome Coach Joe Ken to the show. Here we go. I gotta get up. I got too much to do. Yeah, I gotta get going. I gotta talk to you. It's time to start the show. <laughs> Joe, welcome to the show. We're excited to have you. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for thinking of me for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's, it's funny. Uh, you know, a lot of people say like, Oh, this person wrote the book on uh, this. You, you quite literally wrote the book <laughs> on a lot of the strength and conditioning yeah. principles uh, that are still being used today. So it's an honor to have you on the show. Yeah. Thanks. It's a, it's funny how that project came to fruition, but you, you think of it as just a way to make a positive impact on the athletes you coach and it, tur- it turns into a, a different voice of its own, so to speak, where the people that you get involved with and people that uh, become uh, close to you as colleagues and some even become almost uh, like a unblood-related family, that they push you in a direction to uh, spread the, the thought process of what you did. I mean, what, what we created in 1992 was very innovative. It was not thought out the way we talked about structuring exercises and but it was built specifically and it was created specifically because the women's basketball coach at the time at Boise State and that was one of my top sports when I first got into it June Darty yeah. uh, she didn't challenge she didn't challenge us or didn't challenge hmm. me specifically but she was a women's basketball coach in the early 90s if you know anything about the history of collegiate strength and conditioning most of the programs that the other sports once the once the other sports realized hey what these football guys are doing there may mm-hmm. be some merit for us to do some strength training and then the and then the the evolution of a strength coach that became strength and conditioning coach and now there's numerous names for it yeah you generally got a old football program for that sport <laughs> okay. I mean, that's kind of how it generally went down. Right. And, and she she played competitive basketball at Ohio State. She worked for Tara Vanderveer at Stanford oh, when, wow. in the 90s. So she knew what was she knew uh what to she she had higher expectations than that. And when she first met me, you know, I walk in and at that point in time, you know, I'm saying, you know, I'm a six two, six three guy, but I'm 320 pounds. I'm three years out of playing competitive collegiate football and I'm powerlifting. And she sees me walk in and what does she think? Here's another football guy right. who's going to do football things. But like train I said, my point he, guards like linebackers. Yeah. And, and, and like again, when you really look at it, training athletes is very similar anyway. But her, hmm. her, her point was I'm tired of getting the old football programs to train my basketball team. And I, and, I, and I took that to, I took that to heart because this was my team. Like uh, Coach Thompson, who was my boss at the time, had told me these are my teams. I had 
I don't want to say I had creative freedom, but I had, he had given me creative freedom to create these training plans. And I, like I said, I had a lot of, uh, a lot of background at that point in time of self-study of reading a lot of different programming. Mm-hmm. And, and I was trained in college with a combination of the, the original high intensity training principles of one set to failure with some Olympic lifts and, you know, power lifts molded in. But my, my college strength coach was 100% high intensity based. He was mixing in the other stuff because the football coaches weren't. So Mm. that's where, that's where I first learned how to play the game and how you have (laughs) to figure out how to justify stuff. But long story short, I, I developed this plan on my own. I mean, I'm not, and then as I got more people that that started to work under me, they got to understand it. And then I've, I've gotten yeah. a lot of feedback from assistants over time. The integrity always stayed the same. That's a big thing about programming. That's a big thing about life. You're going to manipulate a lot of things, but your, your core, you right. can't break your core, like who you are and what mm. you stand for. You can manipulate a lot of other things, but that that stuff, you start messing with that, and then you know things start becoming fraudulent. Right. <laughs> so, so for me, yeah, yeah. So the the evolution came to a point where we were rolling. We were doing a lot of good things. We were having very good success in our strength and conditioning program with all the sports at that time. At, at this time, I, I became the head strength coach, and my assistant at the time. Uh, Rich Gray, who is like I said, he's 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 my brother. So he's like, you got to write an article for the NSCA Journal. I'm like, eh, nobody wants to hear this. You know, this uh, this doesn't this is nothing like they do believe in, right? Ah, okay. So I mean, it was it was too big of a departure that you're like, this is gonna. I'm gonna. Well, get- because I know what I you know I'm a, I study that stuff. I know what they expect. They expect certain protocols of how to write a program. And right. When you're a huge conglomerate like that, it's hard for them to justify anything different, let alone some up-and-coming strength coach from Boise State and Boise, Idaho. Yeah. And because I I pushed some boundaries that were not legitimate protocols to powerlifting, Olympic lifting, weightlifting, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I was building something that was purely based off of training sport, what I call sporting athletes. Yeah, not athletes who compete in the strength disciplines of bodybuilding, powerlifting, and and Olympic lifting at that time. Now you have uh, strongman, professional CrossFit athletes. There's a couple of other professional strength related disciplines out there now that is 100% committed to that. And so I broke some of the norms that most people were were utilizing at that time that were kind of like no no you can't do this well the one thing you'll learn about training an athlete you can pretty much do whatever you want (laughs) i mean that's the truth because there's so so many of the modalities of physical fitness and uh, strength development have to be intertwined when you're dealing with yourself like you know you played football you understand what i'm saying you got to be strong you got to be fast you got to be pliable you got to be conditioned you got uh, if you play football you got to be able to play you know between one and 15 plays in a series with only 30 seconds rest right there's ways you got to prepare for that yeah not that's that's way different than one of those specific components of the three major disciplines of strength 
that right. we all that we all got attracted to. So when I submit the article to the NSCA Journal, obviously I get peer reviewed, which <laughs> to me I still say I know who was allegedly on their peer review board, and none of them were coaching at that time. Okay, so you right. weren't you weren't peer reviewed. You were being reviewed by their editorial board. Right. And at the time, uh, Harvey Newton, who's a very highly ranked uh, uh, weightlifting coach in our in the United States and is well renowned as a weightlifting aficionado, was hmm. the, was the the executive director of the NSCA. And long story short, on that, because I don't want to get too carried away with my story. No, this is actually fantastic. Yeah. I, I'm I'm loving hearing about this. Yeah, so, don't stop on my account. Yeah. So we so I get the article back, and obviously they're just ripping me. You can't do Olympic lifts after benching and squatting and you can't do it here. You can't do this. You can't do that. And I told Rich, I said, I see, I told you these people don't want to listen. They don't want to see there's other ways to, to do this. I'm not going to answer these people question. They don't live in our world. And right. I still say that, you yeah. know, that, uh, as much as I believe in science, as much as I believe there has to be a connection for, for you to be that closed minded tells me that's not the science people I want to deal with. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and, and what were you seeing on your end? Uh, I mean, were, were the results like, were you seeing the sort of improvement that was like giving you the feedback that, Hey, like this, this I is was, innovative. Yes, yeah, but it's working. Again, uh, I don't want to get, you know, it's it, what we do is general. What practices is specific. You're mm. trying to mold. Uh, my, my overall generalization of my philosophy is if I can develop a highly robust and resilient athlete, when that coach teaches them the very specifics, they should be able to improve. Hmm. Like I can, I can improve your vertical jump if you're a basketball player. I know I can. Right. But is that necessarily going to improve your rebounding if your coach doesn't properly teach you how to blocks out? And then more importantly, what we learned from someone like Dennis Rodman, are you studying angles? Are you watching right. the way the ball bounces off the rim? Yeah. Was he a great rebounder because of his fanatical effort? Yes. But when you listen to the guy, it's kind of like listening to Mike Tyson talk about boxing. Those guys studied the art of what they did. In Derek right. Rodman's case, he studied the art of rebounding. So I was studying the art of developing a, a, a program for a, for, for a sporting athlete to develop some type of plan that would build up their strength component, their speed component, their power component, their endurance component, uh, continue to do things that would make them mobile and robust. Mm. As we got older, we really understood more about what people called prehab or what I call now is, you know, readiness programs and, and protection work. Yeah. And I really, I want to, if, if we have time, definitely want to, want to talk to you a little bit about that as well. And, and so there was a lot of things going on. So we saw, you know, at that point in time, we called them our testing protocols, right? Now everybody mm. calls them KPIs or key performance indicators that oh, most yeah. people value in athleticism. We saw that. We saw overall, again, I don't, I will never tell you that my, my programs will reduce or, or prevent injury because that's, that doesn't happen in sports. We see it mm. time and time again. And I learned that over time, how do we evolve my verbiage when I talk about uh, what we're trying to do from an injury standpoint. And in the yeah. end, that's where I use the word protection. My ultimate okay. goal is to try to build a body armor that builds the confidence that the athlete believes that we have put them in a, 
in a sense and a development standpoint that they can protect themselves at all costs. And yeah. that if injury occurs because the way they've been trained, hopefully we can expedite the recovery process, if that makes sense. I think so. Yeah. And, and, um, because here's what happens when, when, yeah. and this is some hypocrite. And again, we're jumping around. Sorry, but no, all good. I love it. Here's the hypocritical stuff of uh, the hypocrisy of strength coaching back in the early eighties and nineties when it comes to, uh, and probably, you know, you hear it a lot too. What's the number one goal of the strength program? Reduce injury. Right. But back when I, back when I came up, that's what everybody was talking. But then the first thing we did with a new athlete and we didn't even know their name, you know, that's like a laugh humor. Oh, oh we yeah, gotta, no. we got we got to test you and see what right. you bench, see what you squat. Yeah, I don't even max, know, max I don't even, yeah, I don't even know how you squat or let alone clean, right? We got to right. get a max clean. Well, I've never cleaned before. All right, don't worry about. It. We'll just see what it looks like so we can get a number. So exactly, it's like yeah. don't tell me we're going to look to reduce injury when we're going to try to get one the first day we meet a guy. Right. Or, or, exactly. You know, so, uh, and like I said, we saw the general stuff that we were hoping to. Do with a needs analysis, we we removed. Uh, I don't believe there's one bad exercise. I don't believe any exercise. Mm. Uh, it's the applicable. It's the applicability of that exercise that you have to look at. Uh, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Right. You, you know what I'm saying? Just because so and so's programs doing these movements doesn't necessarily mean everybody has to do these movements. You have to you have to look at where's the best bang for your buck. Because remember, most of the movements we we pick are from again athletes that are professionals in that yeah so when when i go into the weight room as a power lifter that's my practice field right not your practice field right most of the time especially during the season a lot of guys lift after practice do you really think they want to come in after practice <laughs> you know there's a story that i was told and i, I, I is uh hot two high level power lifters are training right Okay. And they're going through this monster program. And, and one guy always wondered why athletes can't get stronger or athletes, woo, 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 right? And so right. after this big session, the one power lifter goes to the one guy, goes, hey, let's go out and shoot baskets. And he goes, why would I want to do that? He goes, that's the same thing the basketball player says after practice when the coach says go lift weights. Right, exactly. You know, so yeah. you got to know your clientele. So you got to build these programmings that make sense. I, I don't expect the athlete to love the weight room like I did. They're, right. they're not, we didn't we didn't sign them for that. We're not paying them money for that. We didn't give them a scholarship for that. But if we can build a program where they understand what the goal is and the intent of to help them improve themselves, yeah, and the things that come at it mentally as well as physically, and and as well as things that you can like you said, you can bring in everyday life, showing up mm. on time, right, being yep. committed, uh, understanding routine. Uh, understanding what work actually means. Right. Understanding how relying on teammates is important and then them relying on you. Figuring out who has the capabilities to lead. Figuring out who has the capability to follow. Figuring yeah. out who are the capability that doesn't have either and they wind up disappearing. That's right. life. That's a, that's in any business. Well, and uh, man, I have so many questions for you, but, but on, on that kind of thought, you know, I have to imagine whether you're at college, you're in the professional ranks, like there must be so many different types of personalities that come through your door. And at, let alone, you already referenced this, like having to manage kind of that relationship with the coach who ultimately is probably having a lot of input as well. 
you know, how do you go about um, trying to like maximize, I guess, what each athlete is getting out of the weight room to your point, like when they're bringing, I mean, just within a football team, you have, you know, the 185 pound wide receiver who can run a four, three, and then you've got the D lineman who might be like, you know, three fifteen. like, how do you go about ma- managing all those personalities and different like athletic needs under, under one roof? Well, and that's an evolution because, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it didn't matter. Everybody did the same workout, Ah, you know, back then now, you know, as your evolution came and, and, and again, whether that was right or wrong, it didn't matter. Structure is better than no structure. Got and it. Back then the staffs were small. Like for example, we had, I don't want to, I can't remember. Let's just say we had 17 sports at Boise okay. state. Yeah. It was the head strength coach and me. And I was a GA. That was it. Oh, now, 17 now, varsity sports, you know, now, and that was small, <laughs> like, but there was schools that had 20 plus varsity sports with only two people. Right. There was very few, uh, in the early nineties, there was very few full-time assistant strength and conditioning coaching jobs. It was usually <laughs> a head guy and a bunch of GAs. And now yeah. it's almost totally flipped where everybody's full-time and there are no graduate assistant positions. Oh, and, and, that's, and that's made it tougher for younger strength coaches to get masters. Because when I came up, it was automatic. You go get your masters paid for by being a GA. Well, now mm-hmm. it's you go right into a full-time lower p- paid position and climb the ladder, but they still expect you to have a master's. Right. So it's it's an interesting game. Yeah. But to to mix, to talk about the one, you, you always, you always be grateful where I call you have your, uh, what's the easiest way? Non, uh, there's certain things like, I don't, I can't help the fact that I was born and raised in New York, right? In Long Island. Right, right, right. So I was exposed to a lot of ethnicity. Yeah. I was exposed to a lot, a lot of, you know, color. Right. Right. So for me that I feel like that's always been a, you know, that's just an unwritten gift. Like I was fortunate to be raised in a environment where, whether it was, you know, conducive to anything else, I just saw a lot. Yeah. You were like among diversity. Like you didn't know. So for me, it was always, and coming from lower middle, middle class, you see things that, you see things in in a different perspective. Yeah, for so sure. So I I personally think those those people and athletes who come from let's just say from the bottom to the top, yeah, really succeed better from those oh, who started at the top because they don't understand the come up. Yeah, <laughs> you know they 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 you know like you know uh, and I'm and again everybody's got their trip right everybody's got their journey I'm not putting yeah. down hell there's a, I wish you know sometimes man imagine if I would have if my dad didn't pick up trash for 20 years and and he was a whatever college professor or lawyer how would I have been raised right but my dad grew, my dad no, worked right. sanitation in a time where you didn't you didn't go with the clamps you walked from house to house dumping garbage <sighs> and throwing it on your shoulder 20 miles a day so I, that's what I knew. Right. Yeah. I don't, so that's when we, we're talking sports and having to be a tough SOB at my dinner table. We're not talking, you know, what happened in on TV or <laughs> right. CNN <laughs> and stuff like that. So yep. again, I'm not everybody, like I said, everybody's different. It, it's how you take what you are and figure out how to learn 
what what the other what you don't know is about. It's yeah. e- it's easier to. I, I, and again, this is my opinion. I always reserve the right to be wrong. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's one person's life journey that right. tells him that I'd, I'd rather be on the come up and understand the process and, and understand that that journey means something than be up on top and not understand what happens when you crash and burn. You know what? And this is going to be a total, I mean, I, I have a whole list of things here I want to ask you, but uh, this, this is something I think about a lot. So, you know, I, I grew up in a blue collar family. Uh, dad did pretty, dad, dad worked hard, but there's, you know, a number of things that were, were, were tough growing up in, in some circumstances, but had it generally pretty well. But I would say like the chips that I have on my shoulder are like the things that drove me to get to the point that I am today. And I almost like treasure them in a way, you know what I mean? And in a way, and I'm getting over it as I get older, but like the people had everything handed to them. Uh, you know, I don't know. If, I don't know if resentment was the right word yeah, or I never had resentment. Like I, everybody yeah. has their own thing. Like I, I know that in my situation, the town I lived in made me who I am, made okay, my yeah. dad who he is. But in the end, I didn't want to stay there like they did. Right. You know, like I'm, I had bigger, uh, fish to fry, so to speak. So I knew like my drive was, do I think my mom and dad could have figured out a way to pay me, pay for me to go to college? Yeah. Because that's who they are. Hmm, but I I wasn't going out like that. I told, if I wasn't getting a scholarship, then I was going to work with my dad at the sanitation. Right. So my dad saw the drive that I, like I had odds and end jobs growing up, but my, my dad said, your job is to get out of here. So he was willing to, uh, like where other kids were working, I was in the weight room. Yeah. Uh, When other kids were working, I was running the streets of Inwood because in the end that I wasn't talented enough not to do that huh. in high school. I had to, I had to, to work, to be good at what I was. My high school was one of the best high schools on Long Island to play football. My yeah. college, my high school coach played with my dad at that high school. Uh, they were very <laughs> good friends. My, my uncle played at that high school was an assistant coach. The line coach who I give a lot of credit for giving me the skills to get a scholarship played at that high school and was from that area. So it's one of those types of, it's like a, I call it a, a a small country town in Long Island, how how it was bred and born and bred in that, in that deal and the five towns area as a whole. So I, I just knew that that was my way out and there was nothing I had to, and again, I just wanted out. No, I have no qualms of saying it. There's nothing bad about where I was from. There's nothing bad I want to say about my childhood. I don't. There's nothing bad I want to say about my high school experience. I just wanted it out. I wanted out yeah. of New York. I I wasn't into the hit the city and the the nightlife stuff too crazy. I just was like, hey man, I got to get out. And <laughs> and my, and I told my mom, I said, when I leave, I'm not. I'm not coming back unless it's a few vacations. And she said it till the day she passed. She goes, you always said you weren't coming back and you never did. And, and, and I, and again, I could have went to Syracuse. My final two choices are college after I had, I was very fortunate. I got mm-hmm. to show, I chose where I wanted to go. I wasn't told where I wanted to go. Yeah. If that, that, if that, that is makes a, sense. That is a good problem to have. Yeah, yeah. So my, my final two choices was Syracuse who recruited me hard for two and a half years. And back then, 
no one offered you as a sophomore or junior. You very, you very rarely got that. You had to, you had to play it out and see where the chips fell. Right. And, and Wake Forest, and hmm. and my and then my other my other five were my top five were Rutgers, Temple, and South Carolina was my oh, okay. was my final five. Yeah. But I chose Wake Forest one because. I just felt even though Syracuse was five hours away, it was still in New York. So still I was like, yeah, I'm just out. <laughs> and and Wake Forest gave me an opportunity where I thought athletically I could be a big fish in a little pond for them, if that makes uh, sense. It does. Yeah. And, and I was looking at it from playing time. Uh, you know, you're at, you play division one. If you're good enough, you go to the NFL, right? right Doesn't right. matter. Uh, academically, extremely challenging. I, I, Everybody goes, man, did you go there for the academics? I said, absolutely not. I said, that's just, uh, fortunately for me, my dad was a very stickler for me when it came to grades because his grades were, were utterly poor. So, mm. and like I said, he went to my high school. So he had my grades before I had them and, and he drove the after. So my dad picked up trash in the morning. He drove the afternoon school bus for the junior high and high school in the afternoon. Oh, no kidding. And then he'd watch practice and then go bounce because he was one of the top bouncers in, on Long Island in, uh, in Queens. And Your so, dad sounds like a legend. And my dad's an OG. <laughs> like, he was an OG. <laughs> I, uh, uh, my we son might have to get him on the show. If he's, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, he's gone now. But oh, sorry my, to hear son, that. My, my son, my oldest son's a lot like him. Uh, I'm not, not so much. Those guys, are, <laughs> those guys are G'd up, man. The thug life was real. That's amazing. <laughs> so well, and, yeah, oh, so, uh, so again, getting back to what we're talking about. So you 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 understand people, right? Yeah, and that helps. And you and you understand, you know. Uh, and, but you're not a hundred percent. Like you can never. Mm. You're not going to hit with everybody. And I and I was fortunate that I I hit with a way more. Like I would say. And I hate my wife hates like when you throw out numbers like ninety five percent. Where did you get ninety five percent? But I would say very, very confidently that I hit with nine out of 10 or better of every athlete I ever came in to contact with. Now, that, yeah. that, that 1% or that 10% or less, you better have people surrounding you that have personalities that can, can work with those people. Right. Because you're not – like, again, a, a great example is I have the utmost respect for Cam Newton. Mm-hmm. The utmost one of the hardest working athletes I've ever coached high school, college or pro Yeah, uh, unique in a lot of ways, but very hard on himself, uh, had his way of doing it. Uh, but when it came to what we asked hard worker, but hmm. I let my assistant Jason Miguchi train him one-on-one because their fit was better. Oh, I, interesting. I got, I've got nothing, uh, there's no, I don't think, I don't think, you know, I think Cam's cool with me. I'm cool with Cam. But in the end, for us to be successful, I thought Jason was the perfect fit for him. And for seven years, he trained Cam. Oh, uh, I call it one on one, but Cam would be in there with the groups at during group time, unless yeah. you know, during the season, a little different because as guys uh, have different schedules during the season, they have to practice with media and stuff. I mean, same thing with Christian McCaffrey. I trained uh, Christian. Mm one-on-one during the season and a lot of times with media man or treatment and stuff like that sometimes they just they're not going to be there with the whole group right but, but cam it just feels so you find those fits uh that's why when you want to you if you're an up-and-coming coach 
you never want to hire yourself as an assistant. You already have that person. I, I would say the same thing in business. If you're yeah. if you're running a team for a business or you're the executor overseeing a team and you're putting a team together, you don't you already got you. Right. So you don't need you. You you gotta be aware of that. You 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 and it plus when you're building a team and, and you're building a, a, a staff and you have these unique individuals, you've, you've got to, you know, you've got to learn to be, uh, what's the word, not uh, vulnerable. Hmm. Uh, as much as you want to be arrogant and cocky and be uh, selfish, you can't right. do that. Uh, if you want to be successful, you have to show some vulnerability in yourself. If that's anything that I've learned over time, uh, starting off as a brash, arrogant type of leader. And hmm. as I grew with the help of several people at Arizona State in particular that took me under my wing, uh, Gene Smith, the Ohio State athletic director, was at Arizona State at the time. A hmm. woman a woman that, she, that he brought in that was very, very important in my growth as a leader was a Christine Muldoon. She hmm. was one of those types of uh, outside influencers that you bring in to help build culture, you know, the, yeah. the, the famous, the famous cultural line. And those, those two people in particular, Dirk, uh, Dirk Cutter, football coach that was at Boise state with me and Arizona state. And now is a oh, yeah. NFL coach. He had a lot to do with that and, and believing in my leadership capabilities, but it's an evolution. And, uh, you learn a lot. You learn different things as being a leader. You, the, the role I'm in now for dynamic, I have a cool title, but I understand that my role is more of a support to the other VPs and the owner. Mm. So, yeah, I have a leadership title, but I've understood from a vulnerability standpoint of where my role really is, is underneath these people. And, ah, okay. and, and, and I have to learn. That's something you learn, right? Uh, yeah. Take direction from people. And at this point in time, that's good to know, because if, if there is a time I can get back into coaching, I will have a better understanding of my staff because for the most part, my entire career, I've been a leader. Right. Uh, when I played, I led. When I played in the coaching staff, realized my commitment to the weight room, I was in charge of getting guys in there. It was on me. Yeah. I would have been the one punished if they didn't come in. And, you know, when I, when I started to get into coaching – uh, my first coaching job, you know, all I taught, all I, all I believed from the time I was a sophomore in college was I want to be a coach. I want to be a strength coach. I want to yeah. work with these guys. And then I get my opportunity, uh, a great, uh, one of our graduate assistants got a high school job, like I said, down in Florida. And I yeah. go out there and I go out for the first practice and I'm like, man, do, what happens if I can't coach? Like what happens if I, you know, I suck. Right. And yeah. <laughs> now, now what do I do? Like I put all my eggs in this basket, right? Yeah, get a health health and sports science degree. That ain't going to help me in the business world. I mean, like <laughs> I'm all in, right? And uh, luckily for me, my style, my persona, the things that you know, I, uh, my passion, my enthusiasm for what I was trying to accomplish, I hit. And yeah, you know, people ask, man, why do you think you this? I said, sometimes you just you when someone says or someone talks about you or says, oh man, he's got a gift, and then you say, well, explain what that means. A gift is unexplainable to me. Yeah. Like you can't. There's nothing to explain. I can, like I said, why? Why am I usually have a good rapport with a lot of the athletes? Well, that's his gift. Well, mm. what does that mean? It means what I said. Maybe that <laughs> gift was because where I grew up, 
my exposure to a large abundance of different people from whether it's uh, race, creed, color, ethnicity, you know, right. background. I, w- I was afforded that. Yeah. Because I saw that, like I said, in Inwood was this, this level, but in Lawrence was a little bit level higher. North Woodmere and Woodmere was another higher uh, tax, not, let's just say tax bracket. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, I got and you. Then, yeah. and, and then they all had, there were six public schools that all funneled into the junior high. So now you're in your little isolation, like PS number two, all the Inwood kids, right? And and then all of a sudden you get funneled into junior high and now you you meet kids from like number one school, number five school and number six school. And right. you really didn't even know those people existed. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you know, and they're like a two-minute drive down the street. Right, and then I imagine like all different like economic backgrounds. Yeah, I mean, like, if, like if, if, yeah, it's changed. But like, if we went to the five towns, you can see like Inwood was literally the other town across the tracks. Okay, then you, <laughs> then you cross the tracks to Lawrence, and yeah. then Lawrence Cedarhurst. So they were real close, but like Lawrence was like always rated lower than Cedarhurst, and then Woodmere was over there and then north woodmere right they and, just sound just, like like they're you know what i mean like you could that, probably okay, pick so out by the name you, which one I, was i give you even <laughs> even a better one so you watch goodfellas uh yes yes so good uh ray leota you know henry hill's wife was from north woodmere uh, okay so you can get an idea of the area i lived in when, it, when you mix it all up but again uh, so and then so you take that and then when i got older I was fortunate, like, as I make my growth and I make my journey, well, now I go to Utah. So now I'm exposed to two very interesting uh, uh, societal types of people. Yeah, you got to pause when you start talking about what's going on in Utah because there's a lot lot going on. I get really introduced to the uh, the Mormon religion and the – the structure and the rigidity of certain things that ask, especially the whole mission process. Oh yeah. So you, now you you have to understand that, right? Because mm-hmm. as a non-Mormon, that's a brand new education process to me that right. you could see a guy as a freshman and he turns 19, he's going on his mission for two years. Two years now, and then he comes back. Now as he a comes back and he's 21 years old. And <laughs> there's a good chance within that time, he'll get married and have a kid. Yeah. My, my roommate in college, uh, on the football team was, uh, was Mormon. And I think Hawaiian initially, and I know there's a lot of, and then you get the Polynesian. Now that's a total culture. Like I always said, don't pick a fight with a Polynesian because unlike every other grouping that I've coached, they stick together. That's true family. Like if you, if you had like a battle Royale of just say, you know, Caucasians, African Americans, and Polys, <laughs> and and you had to call right, your right. boys, you call your boys up. You know, somebody you might like. Hey, man, we're having this like, uh, you know, Lords of Flatbush Rumble. Right, it's going down. And you're and like, you, I'm not coming back. to help you. I got other things to do. The Polynesians, they'll all be there. Yeah, I mean, my buddies are all watching the Masked Singer yeah, or something on yeah, Fox. They are, they're all they're very very family oriented. They're very very committed to each other. You learn that stuff. And again, we're, we're kind of making jokes about it, but those are things that help me because now, because now like to me, I said, I've got it all covered. I've coached all different demographics. I've coached, I mean, I hate to say guys with gang affiliations in Los Angeles to Polynesians to grown men 
uh, of the Mormon religion. That's a very interesting dynamic oh, to study yeah. On, yeah. on top of everything else. So I have, I've been exposed to a lot and I, and I say to myself, uh, you know, I spent two years in Utah and I was supposed to spend two years in Utah because I got to learn about uh, coaching Polynesians and coaching those of the Mormon faith. And a lot of Polynesians are Mormon. So it's a combination of right. both. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that's, and that's a good thing. Uh, yeah. I use that to my advantage because it's part of the growth process. And so every step of the journey, I've had a lot of positive things. I, I spent two years at Louisville. We weren't, we were, the staff was let go after two years, but uh, my, I don't, again, I don't like talking politics. I don't like talking religion, but one yeah. of the, one of the greatest things that ever happened to me at Louisville was uh, my relationship with the FCA chaplain, Chris Morgan. Hmm. Like it's just a legitimate, deep hearted friendship. Like I've confided in him and what I love about Chris is, and he's a very, you know, he's a Christian, like he is, but like he told me a few times, he goes, just remember house. I wasn't always a Christian. <laughs> so he, don't step too far, yes, but, but he, but he understands he allows me to be me and I want to be respectful of who he is. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't say I'm guarded, but if I slip and drop an F-bomb, I'm, okay, I'm cool because Chris is cool because he knows <laughs> it's me. Where on other people, I would be a little bit like, damn, man, you can't be doing that. Right, right, right. Chris allows, and that's why Chris is, uh, Chris's base and his FCA growth at Louisville is one of the strongest I've ever seen ever is because he allows you to be him. Like here's a guy who'll do Ramadan if you're Muslim with the guys, right? Oh, cool. Here's a guy who understands Hanukkah and all. I mean, he's about, he's about being there for the player. Yeah. He embraces you know and like respects and, other, and, other and viewpoints, not, cultures, religions. He's not religions. there throwing it at you. Yeah. He will, he will embrace you if you come to him with questions but he's not out there peddling it. And, and I don't want to seem derogatory to, no, to that. No. I'm just saying that. And he, I think and I think you, that's what makes him so successful is. Yeah. He, he is who he is. And oh, by the way, I just happen to be the FCA chaplain. Right. Well, and to your point, like it kind of gets me thinking, like it, as long as you're authentic, you know, and if you're truly authentic to yourself, what you believe, what you stand for, in most situations, people will be respectful and appreciate that, right? It, it does cross a line if like you begin to start kind of trying to force whatever your perspective is, your viewpoint. And that could even be like, if we're talking about training, that could be like your method of training. Um, you know, that's when it becomes like a problem. Um, and one of the things that I've, I've really enjoyed, especially like I said, over the last week, I've been going through a lot of your old presentations and watching the, uh, the new stuff you're doing through your platform on YouTube. Um, I would say you come across as 100% authentic and, and, and one I of the, appreciate that. that's, yeah, more, that's more important than, than a lot of things. And it's funny you say that because yeah. uh, my, one of our owners, uh, Kurt Tambernino, he'll, he'll remind the people in the offices. I don't want him to lose his authenticity. <laughs> you don't want him to show up in a tie. Yeah, and start, like, yeah. <laughs> that's who he is. Let him be who he is. And right. Absolutely, and, man. And so it's cool. And again, I don't, Hey man, I mean, I know what I, I know who I am. Yeah. Right? Like I always say, I know what I know. I know what I don't know. I know what I need to know. And I know what I don't care to know. Hmm. Because I'm at, awesome, awesome my, I'm, I'm at that point. I'm at that point in my life. 
Like yeah. 20 years ago, there's probably a lot of things I needed to know that I, and then even though I didn't care about it, I thought I, I thought I had to, because that's like that growth mindset and all that stuff, right? Read a million books a, a year and not <laughs> comprehend any of them. Just say you read them, right? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and so now I'm at that point in my belief that there's a lot of great things out there, whether it's training, whether it's conditioning, whether it's this, whether it's nutrition, recovery, yeah. sleep, how to run a business. But I'm so uprooted in what I believe if I don't think that particular uh, measurement or, you know, verse or something doesn't have any type of ability to be modified and applied mm-hmm. to my belief system, then I'm okay with someone else knowing that and not, and I'm not because yeah. I, I, I have, you know, very limited time. Uh, you know, there's only so many seconds in a minute. There's only so many minutes in an hour. There's so many hours in a day Right. That I'm going to make sure that I've done enough deep thought that if I bring, if I'm going to go into this and dive into this from an investment, yeah. that I that I know something involved in that is going to be able to be applicable to what I'm looking for it to be. And, yeah. and like like with training, there's a lot of great training stuff out there. There's certain things that are are highly I highly respect the amount of time that individuals put into it it just doesn't fit me hmm i know i know enough to know like uh if somebody asked me about it and like okay can you use this with the tier system of course you can because this what you're talking about is this the tier system is that so yes it can be meshed oh i didn't think about that i just thought it was training programs no there's difference between uh programming and cyclical based right like cyclical Mm. is the is more the in-depth sets and reps yeah. Uh, programming and structure is choice and order of exercise, risk analysis on those exercises. Uh, sets and reps can be done a lot of different ways regardless of the exercise and vice versa. Right. So there's certain things that mix and same thing with business. There's a lot of great things out there. I mean, I read this book. He read this book. I, I don't necessarily – I like reading books that people don't read. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, and, I, and, again, there's people out there who know that – I wouldn't be BSing if I said that, but I, I was one of the first persons that got exposed to Patrick Lenciani. I don't know if you're familiar with like no, five, not. five dysfunctions of a team. But he's got a bunch of books. I just read the motive, but he, he, the five dysfunctions of a team is like a monster book in, in uh, sports and leadership and, and call, a lot of coaches have read it, but I was one of the first ones that got exposed to that and brought that up on some, some old interviews. And, you know, like they've got uh Three Signs of a Miserable Job was a okay. very, very good book. Uh, a book that uh, has helped me twice. Hmm. Uh, one was when I knew my time was running out at Arizona State and helped me uh, move on to Louisville. Uh, okay. Like, yeah, because of that book, you could see some yes. of the signs that this was kind of needing yeah. to come to an end. Right. And then, you know, there's a, there's a, I mean, I've got the whole, Oh, well, up there, but it's like four four objectives of an extraordinary executive. Oh, okay. I'll have to check a, this out. Yeah, and and what the great thing about it is, is I love the writing style, and 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 I, I have a hard time now retaining stuff, like remembering. So I that's why I'm like big highlight duck tail, uh, dog tail, and get back to them and, and do some review. But what what I love about the read is 
he writes the first half in like a fable. So like, oh, when he, cool. when he's, like, so he's talking to you about the three sides of a miserable job, but he's walking you through like a story. Mm. And then the second half is like the textbook. Right. That makes sense. So it, no, it, it does make very, sense. Yeah. Very, very valuable. A uh, uh, big, huge fan. He doesn't know how much he's driven a lot of the things that I've tried to do. Uh, another great book, Death by Meeting. Everybody wants to meet to meet. I'm going to meet to compete. And hmm. that doesn't mean hour-long meetings 10 times a day and getting nothing accomplished. You can right. get a lot accomplished in a, a five-minute huddle or a, or, or two-minute, what I, we used to call like two-minute warnings, where we just meet every day as a group just quick to get everybody's goals and objectives of what's going on in their schedule in case there was some overlap that we had to do or maybe a problem that needed to be solved. Yeah. So, uh, again, great author. Highly recommend if you're not uh, if you're not exposed to them, I, I would highly recommend. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll link to those in the show notes for sure afterwards too. So if yeah. people listening want to check it out, yeah, that'd be that'd be perfect. That's been awesome. Uh, one book that I read a long time ago uh, that really made me think was called The DNA of Success, and it mm. talked about goal setting and versus a uh, heartfelt. I think it was mindset versus heart set. I can't remember the terms. But a lot of times, you know, people talk about writing down your goals is is a key point to achieving them. Yeah. But, but yet the truth is you can write down all the goals you want. If it's not embedded in your heart, you're not going to achieve them, achieve them whether you write them down or not. Yeah. So uh, there's, there's things you got to understand. Uh, yeah. If you're going to write them down, are they still in, embedded in your heart? Yeah. <laughs> because no, if that makes not, sense. you're just going to write, you're going to look at that goal and you're like, yeah, I wrote these goals down, but I don't give a crap. Uh, yeah, exactly. There has to there has to be like some meaning and intent behind yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, you gotta you gotta you gotta put yourself in a sense of, are, are you willing to persevere? Are you willing to fight and sacrifice for this goal? And that's something that reserve. You know, again, say it's a two hundred page book. That's the thing that sticks out to me. I read that book, you know, probably 15, 16 years ago, and that's something yeah, that I've always. Uh, resonated with, there's a, a lot of great uh what is it the uh, again i had them all i've just been doing stuff i can't remember is it the mindful athlete is another oh, okay. great book um golly oh, i forgot his the author is awesome uh, i think it's called the mindful athlete uh i'll check and send it over to you because i got all those books out yeah is it over there no that one's on another another shelf you know, and, and I've read some of John Maxwell's stuff, but everybody reads John Maxwell, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I'd rather try to build something that every. I'm a big believer in being who you are. I'm not. I'm not following the the trail because oh, everybody says Maxwell's the guy, so everybody's going to read Maxwell. But then I know that everybody who reads Maxwell is going to have the same same right, visual intention. Where if I read some of these other people that no one is, my perspective can help bridge these gaps. Right. Absolutely. Well, and, and so, you know, that's actually a good point too, because we talked about this a little bit at the beginning, like, you know, in the early nineties, the, the world of strength and conditioning to your point was like, there was a very traditional way that you did things. Right. And to innovate was kind of like you had to, it almost sounded like you had to fight this old guard, yeah, so again, to speak, and, who was peer go reviewing. Way, yeah. Go all the way back to that. Yeah. I, was, I wasn't going to do the edits. And, oh. and Rich was like, you got to do the edits. I said, these guys don't want to hear from me. I told you, it's the NSCA. Right. I, mean, I mean, I know what they're thinking. And he called Harvey 
I remember I told you Harvey was a, a is a world renowned Olympic weightlifting coach. Right. And if anybody was going to tell me I was wrong, it would have been him. Yeah. Because of the way I programmed it. And he told Rich, he said, Rich, you tell him to finish the article because people need to see this. Awesome. So I oh, finished. Wow. So, that, so that's, that's 1997. Cool. Okay. So I finished the article and it gets published and it sparked a lot of interest. Right. Uh, several years later, I'm at, you know, now I've, I, I was at Boise for two more years. I went to Utah, implemented the system at Utah, went to Arizona State, implemented the system at Arizona State. And we're still seeing, you know, pretty good success. You, you, you know, we'd all like to see more wins and losses. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I think strength, strength and conditioning for football is very, it's hard to evaluate. I think That's what I was going to ask you. I think a lot of times it's yeah. How how were you guys? How were you guys evaluating? Ah, well, again, it's based on wins and you know you're getting evaluated on wins and losses no matter what you do, and and that's where it's hard because you know like I've had I've had coaches say, man, we had thirty guys bench press four hundred. Well, you're three and nine, (laughs) and again. Right, and I and I got and I got caught up a couple like the number stuff a couple of times in my career where like these numbers don't mean you know what I'm, if if don't mean dick. Getting, it's all right. I'll, yeah. I'll stay for you. I'll finish if, it. If we, if we don't <laughs> if we don't see any type of whatever transferring to the field, I mean we can get as strong as possible. Like is six hundred gonna make is, is squatting six hundred gonna make me any better if I squat five fifty? And I'm not saying there's a cutoff. But right. after a while, you got to evaluate. Okay, what else can we get this guy strong at? Because he squats five fifty, but he can only lunge ninety five pounds. That's an issue. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So you start yeah. as, as you get out of this meatheadness that I call it, and you start to evaluate. That's why I say there's different ways to be strong. Right. And you know, I like uh, so there's. Can you be strong? Can you? I don't think you can ever be strong enough. But strength—I'm talking strength from a relative standpoint. Like after a certain amount of time in the squat, we're going to start changing the exercises because I don't need you to squat five fifty if you already squat five hundred. But right. I may want you to front squat more, or I may, or like I said, I may need you to improve your lunging. I may need right. to improve your single leg rear foot elevated squat. We, you know. Uh, you, you clean 300, but do, now let's try to really work on velocity-based stuff, right? Yeah. Finding that range where we can really, you know, people say we're using the Olympic lifts to improve explosiveness, right? But right. if we're doing terrible technique and it's being muscled up, we're not getting the transferable trait we hope. And, and, I, and, that's we're, why I keep- and we're losing out. And again, the ultimate the ultimate goal is is to improve confidence. If if you mm. train a guy right, or you train a woman right, especially women, the best people to train are women because mm. they don't get carried away with the number chasing. The yeah. the only group of women who will really get carried away with number chasing, in my experiences, are the women throwers because there's a relevance to improve strength and throwing. Right. Numbers. Yeah. That, that's, oh yeah. That's true. My son's a thrower. I I've seen it. You get stronger, you're probably going to throw further. You get stronger in football, you might not necessarily become a better football player if you've gotten to a certain level of skill. So well, there's different things you have to formulate when it comes to training athletes. That's totally different. 
than training a competitive lifter. Well, and you've said this a couple of times too, and it's something that I think is so important to conceptualize, right? It's like, it's not about getting strong. It's not about how much you squat. The end result is like, can we win games? So to your point, you know, what you keep saying is like, does it transfer? Like, great that you can squat, but like you already squat enough to where you're, you, you have the strength that you need. We now need to like round out all these other potential like strengths, weaknesses to make you a good player, not a good yeah, weight and, room and, lifter. And that's the same. And it's the same thing in. I'm sure it's the same thing in business. You know, a guy can crunch numbers, but he can't he can't display the ability to to show the value of those numbers and where they lead to. In, in business. That's why I think the, those who understand the numbers and mm. understand the app, the applicability of how those numbers are, those are the, those are the most wealthiest uh, venture capitalists and hedge fund leaders oh, in yeah. the world. Right. Oh yeah. Or those, those who are able to understand algorithms and then apply them in a matter, AKA Facebook to, to do things <laughs> that, you never thought were you know, or 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 the person who created Zoom, or the person who created uh, Squadcast. I mean, come on, man. Oh or, yeah. Or FaceTime, or or the fact that this phone right here could, could could has my bank information. My I can pull up my reports. I can pull right. up. You know, it's like, come on, really? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know that that we're conversing, and we have and we're on Wi-Fi, right? Like that makes sense to me. <laughs> or every time I get in a plane, I'm like, who really had the understanding and the and the genius to allow this monster machine to actually get off the ground? I mean, right. or or a or a huge barge that can actually stay buoyant in the water. The people who have that intelligence to understand the the mathematician equations and the things that make that work that's just fascinating to me i mean oh yeah i'm a weightlifting coach i need to know how to convert kilos to pounds i mean you know you know what i'm saying and but what's what's interesting though is like and i i completely agree but to the outsider and even people who lift even people who've maybe like played college sports um what (sighs) programming sets and reps uh you know what i mean tempo like all of these things can seem really overwhelming quite frankly, you know, it's like, look, it's like, Hey, this is the goal that I have. This is where I'm trying to get to. So what you do to an outsider actually looks very complex. Um, and, and one of the things I wanted to ask you actually, cause you, you did bring up the tier system. Um, you know, it, it seems like you've created a structure and actually one of the questions I have is like, has it changed over time? That, that might be interesting too, but you've created a structure uh, where it makes it a bit more approachable. And I think, you know, depending upon what outcome or adaption you're looking for, uh, gives you a, a relative framework that you can kind of work within. Um, so I guess, you know, w- one of the things I would ask you is like the tier system as it stands today, knowing that, you know, th- th- was this also kind of created in 97? 92. So like from your standpoint, like the, has the tier system kind of like stood the test of time? Yeah. Well, it's still going strong. So I would say yes. And it's known around the world. Oh, yeah. Which is extremely humbling. Like, right. So when we write the book, I'll tell you a funny story about the book. So the book came about because now we're uh, my 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 trajectory of my career is on the up. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm at a I'm at a name school. It's amazing how you 
how quick you get to be good when you're at a name school. <laughs> and, and it's funny because Boise State is now a name school. When oh, yeah. I was at Boise State, we were one double A football making the climb. And yeah. because we've had great coaches and and great players and great administration and great booster support, it is what it is today, which is phenomenal. And I'm glad to be a small part of the growth of that. Yeah. But when you're when you're looking at what we've done is has it, st- has it stood the test of time? Why? Because it's sustainable. Mm. And when, when I say what, what, what makes it sustainable is it's easily adapted to what a coach knows or doesn't know at that time that they're, they are in their experiences. And again, long-term sustainability, you're going to be successful. Yeah. And the, and the thing is it gave, you know, a lot of people don't like to use the word templated, right? Or cookie cutter. That, that's a crock, right? I don't, I don't get yeah. into that. Just like sports-specific lifting. Lifting's lifting. But the, the integrity of the model, like I told you, like I said, the, the first thing that gets lost, and, and that's why I, it's important that I do write another edition of the book to more, be a little bit more deliberate in, in, mm. in the steps of program design, is a lot of people get and I and when I look at it now, I probably I did do a poor job of doing the explaining these templates. It they believe they think it's cyclical based, okay. like like I would say, uh, without with limited knowledge of triphasic training. I know you've had Cal on. Yeah, I would yeah. consider that a cyclical based program. Oh, okay. It, it's based off of tempos of reps. It's based yep. off certain rep schemes. It doesn't it doesn't necessarily matter what exercises or, or how you order your exercises. So got it. Where, yep. where the tier system is the exact opposite. It is based off of highly structured organization yeah. and rotation of exercise. That's why when people always ask me, hey, can you do triphasic with the tier system? Of course. That's a that's almost too simple to answer in my world. <laughs> right, right. Because, yeah, I know what you mean. Because one is cyclical and one is exercise choice and order. Ah, God, so that's a good differentiation too, because, uh, yeah, Cal, Cal was a fantastic guest and I I love, uh, his books as well, but that's a good point, right? It's like a lot of his stuff is like, Hey, look, if you do this exercise, this, this compound movement, let's on this, to your point, like rep and scheme, it's like, yeah, but then the next four weeks it's this. So yeah, that has nothing to do with, that has nothing to do with structure and and organization of exercise, but because I was the way I built it again, it's I, I did a poor job, and I think I know why now people people feel it's the tier system cyclical based. And I have hmm. a reminder, Mike, that in, in my you know my life's work comes down to it's a three day total body or whole body session based off of the structured rotation of three movement categories. That's it. That's my yeah. life's work in ten seconds. But the evolution of, like you said, what what has happened within that dynamic of de- of developing a daily session, and then through the a weekly session, and then the growth throughout the different lengths of times of a cycle, there's been some subtle uh, changes. But I would say I would think the same thing that with Cal, when if you would ask Cal, the way he writes those cycles, there's certain type of specific orders, and yep. and that's the integrity of it, right? Uh, I think he would say 
you can do this with, I'm sure, again, like I said, I have limited knowledge. I'm sure mm. there's certain things that can be rotated in and out, but there's a certain structure to the, the cyclical way he wants those types of training, training blocks to be written. That mm-hmm. can't, that's can't be broken. Like, again, there's probably, you know, if he's doing an, a fully centric cycle, that has to be followed by this, right? Got it. It can't be followed by whatever. And that's the same thing with for, for our, our thing is it's a structured rotation of exercises. So mm-hmm. say for the session T or the total body priority, the total body is number one, the lower body is number two, the upper body is number three. Then you wrote, you come back through total body and then lower body. The, the truth is, depending on your your belief system, I could care less what, what goes in there. I just, how do you define total body? Then put a total body lift where it belongs. How yeah. do you define lower body? And, and, there's, and there's discussions to be like that. Like I've talked to a lot of people, when you design your exercise pool, that's your pool. It's how you mm-hmm. dir- dir- differentiate yeah, your yeah, exercises. Yeah. Like for me and how my thought process goes, uh, you know, Brett Contreras really popularized hip thrust. Okay. Right? People consider, I've talked to people that consider a hip thrust a lower body exercise. I consider it a total body exercise because it's hip extension. Okay. So anything with hip extension or hinging, like deadlifting and variations of deadlifting, goes in total body. Knee dominant work is lower body. Hmm. So anything that's a whole, like jumping and med ball throwing, those to me are total body components. Yeah. So they would fit into the total body category if I'm going to bring in uh, multiple or uh, single response jumps into a strength training session. Yeah. They're going to be classified and without complexing, that's going to be classified a total body movement. Got it. But and, now, and, and, that might not be that way for you. And mm. that's okay because if me and you are comparing programs and I see you put a hip thrust as a lower body exercise, I would just ask you, is are you classifying hip thrust as a lower body? If you say yes, I'm not going to debate you like, well, that's a total, like other, I right. can, hey man, Don't get caught program. up in the, it's your yeah. program. And just like yeah. I said, I believe in what I do, 100%. When I got to the NFL, the NFL has been predominantly a four-day split program. And here I come and people, oh, you know, are you going to change? I go, I can't change. This is how I got here. This, I mean, I can't not throw away what I believe in because I got here. I just got to make it work. And we do because the fourth session or the fifth session, depending on how you want to structure a week, are, are your auxiliary days or what we called your blitz work where you're getting in the extra work that doesn't fit into the main session. That's a lot mm. of it is very individualistic. It could be programming to help you coming off. Uh, you've got a, a, a old shoulder injury, so you need to do right, more right, posterior right. shoulder, or you want to do more core, or you want to do arm farm. You know, there's all those things. That's your accessory work, and that's, yeah. and that's what fits in on the on our day. So when we, and that's what I call the blitz packages. Like if you want extra, if we need to do extra work, that's where a lot of the individuality comes it. in. It is on the Tuesday work or whatever you want to call that day, the auxiliary session. But now, depending on the amount of clientele, I've learned now being away from coaching this year and doing a lot of these little medley types of three, what I call trifecta work, like three exercises that fit the same tier. 
mm. uh, to build out these things for more advanced athletes as I get with a limited numbers. I can, yeah. I can do the tier system and be more individualistic during these three days with, with the types of packages that we put together. Like you asked, like, what is some of the growth of the tier system? Well, when we first started, it was based on prime movers. So every upper body exercise was some version of a press. And, mm. we, and we were doing all the accessory pulls on Tuesday. Okay. Well, now as we build out and we're going to build a belief of protecting the body, whole what is really a whole body approach it's these generalizations of movements that i've that i've utilized from other people and learned terminology from other people that we fit into this package well now i even at a lower age bracket a total body a, a upper body tier now for me will generally have especially in the first three tiers hmm. will generally have three exercises within that tier that rotate through in a, mm. in a, in a, what I call a medley, people would call a mini circuit. So for example, yeah, yeah. every upper body for tiers one, two, and three, where it used to be just one exercise. You might just bench press. Right. Well now on that bench day, say Friday's your big bench day to session you, you're going to have a horizontal row mm. bench and a posterior deltoid movement or a posterior yeah. shoulder. Because again, it goes back to pairing, pairing the same plane, so a horizontal press, horizontal row. Got it. We're going to probably do more volume for the row because it's a stabiliz- stabilizer. And and we we need to develop the go muscles rather than the show muscles. So yeah. we want to hand we want to enhance that part of it. We're going to go to the bench because that's the priority of that session. And then right. we're going to go to a posterior shoulder because that's one of the most injury prone areas, regardless of sport is posterior capsule in the posterior shoulder, whether it be rotator cuff, uh, you know, uh, all kinds of issues that happen. Uh, oh, yeah. Plus, it helps build what I call uh, head support or reinforcing the head uh, head stability through training the mm. neck, the traps, and the posterior shoulder. That's three unique muscle area, muscle group areas that form the, the triangle that supports your head. Yeah, which yeah. Is, which was identified as reinforcement techniques so uh yeah so these are the things that you learn how to build out uh you know no that's as, as the older the athlete gets like i was a big like again because of my relationships with powerlifting when i first started the first three tiers of lower body were all three bilateral squat movements hmm. and then it became two squat movements and now depending on the the athlete's position or sport it might only be one, and I was a huge back squat dominated program. And for a lot of sports, it would be front squat, and not not because of anything, but just again looking at applicability, um, yeah. posture assessment, the relationship of position to the athletic position, uh, the fact that you can't have a bad front squat, but you can have a bad back squat. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's a great point. And and you know there. So again, there's. It's it's the evaluation of movement. It's the eva- and again, these are very general. There's there's very there's a lot of people way smarter than me that I that I rely on when it comes to very specific things. Yeah. As far as the you know, like like when you're talking about the core work, which we call root, because everything is rooted at the midsection, mm. and then your limbs or your arms and your legs. Right. You know what people want to talk about anti flexion, anti extension. Uh-huh. Why, why can't we just call it like planking and 
you know, and then whole ISO holds, right? Because so, it doesn't look as good on the YouTube yeah, but video. Again, so for me, there's merit in that. And that comes, that's part of what we call our root programming. And you got to, and, and you have to get, and again, uh, training the posterior chain or training the core, it used to be 20, three sets of 25 crunches and three sets of 15 back extensions. It's, right. it's, it's morphed into its own workout in itself now because, yeah. you know, Mike, Mike Boyle, when I got exposed to Mike Boyle's work, he really stimulated my thought on the, on the em- more emphasis on single leg variations, really looking at the front squat versus the back squat for athletes. And mm-hmm. I think in 1999, I have to look through stuff. He had come up where there was like seven different components to core training, like uh, mm. flexion extension, knee to shoulder, shoulder to knee, lateral flexion, stabilization, rotation. So now you're building out all these exercise pools to make sure you hit all these different components of building a strong and robust core. Yeah. core. And now, now the big things are like dead bugs, right? Uh, oh, yeah. Bird dogs, the McGill Big Three. Uh, you know, so there's a lot of things that are going on. And then there's a difference between like, uh, and I'm learning some, I picked up a couple of things from Dr. Aaron Horshing of Squat University where like training for different things, you want to be stiff and rigid. So for me, like I would do, what I learned was like, if I'm doing a side bend for strength, like oblique strength, but yeah. really on like a deadlift or squat day, I probably want to do a single leg, a single arm carry for, for stiffness. Oh. Uh, you, know, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I do. That makes sense. So they're like little, little things like that. Like, okay, so now, and, and again, I've been doing a lot of planking and bracing stuff on our squat day, but like on a deadlift or a clean day, yeah, I want a little bit more stiffness. Mm. I need to do a little bit more of these types of movements. And, and again, this is stuff I'm learning now after how many years in the game, just right. little, little stuff that becomes uh, it's it, you know mike robertson said it a long time ago a lot of people have said it but like uh, when they talk about like the evaluation of your programming is a lot of things like from a prehab or cleanup should all yeah. you should be already in your programs like like instead of having oh we got to do prehab well if you're doing your if you're programming right that stuff should already be in there you're in done. the form of a, a variation of a single leg movement in a different planes yeah. So a lot of times we, you know, I, I believe in defending the sagittal plane where everything starts from there. I think sometimes mm. we move into the frontal and transverse movements a little too quickly with load. But if you can't do a, if you can't do a standard lunge correctly, it's going to be tough to do a rotational lunge. Right. And so let's. Everything's fundamental. Everything's layered. Uh, just like anything in growth, right? You got to start from the base and you yeah. tunnel up. The greater and the more dynamic the base is, the wider the foundation, the stronger you're going to be. And, that, mm. and that's really what our goal is when it comes to the overall progression of athleticism is we want these guys to have a tremendous base, right? We yeah. want their foundation to be so well structured that when they get into position-specific work, they have the abilities when they move into group work, when they move in the team setting, and then when they move into competition, it all funnels up to an, an outstanding performance. And, and yeah. I'm sure you can, if you're in the business world or in your life settings, you can utilize that same thing. What, oh, yeah. What, what is your quality foundation? Uh, what is the support structure 
of your business. And again, a lot of people might say, well, that's our culture is based off these values. Mm-hmm. Well, does everybody know those values? Well, I don't know. So then how can that be your foundation? And uh, Like I've learned a lot be, being a leader and trying to uh, make things simple but effective Yeah, is, you know, we talk about mission statements, right? We've all talking about it. And if you've noticed, people are much better than it than others. But a lot of times a mission statement is really a mission paragraph for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I can't remember a paragraph. Uh, yeah. I, I got into meditation and stuff. and uh, what, Oh, interesting. And one thing that I learned, and it helps, is, you know, you got mantras, right? So I call them mission mantras. And that's where I'll piece together certain terms and try to relate them to things because it's easier for me to remember those three terms. And then how I expand on that may change daily. The principles are the same, but because you're you're not verbatim uh, throwing out uh, definitions from somebody else, yeah. I can, you know, as long as I know, like, for example, my mission mantra for developing athletes is preparation, protection, performance. Uh, okay. So the base is preparation. That becomes education, development, protection putting them in a, in a process and developing a plan that gives them, like we talked about, the confidence that their body armor, both mentally and physically, is prepared to succeed in performance. That when they go out right. to perform, they're confident that, they're, that the preparation that they've done is well-founded. They put together a plan that is protecting me, and now I can go out there and just go you know, all out for as long as I can, and hopefully I succeed. And, yeah. and, then the, and then, and then, and then that filters out into the uh, the objective of being, uh, you know, a champion. Yeah. And but then in like my, but then like when I talk about exercise technique, I call it the three C's of exercise technique: corrosive, okay. competent, and competitive. Well, we huh. never want to see corrosive technique in our room because that means we it's irrelevant, and we're wasting time. We're promoting a atmosphere of potential injury. Right. And, and there has no shot of any type of transferable movement to sport. Now, by being corrosive, you may lift more weight and people will say, well, they, that, that, the, guy thinks he's, the guy thinks he benched 400 because you helped him with the bar. Well, I'm mm-hmm. not going to be able to help him when the guy who benches 300 is beating him down on the field. With, with good form and leverage. Yeah. yeah. Or, or why, why have a guy do a terrible 400-pound hand clean but his – Vertical jumps only twenty four inches. There's, there's what's the bet? Yeah, I mean, what's the benefit? If you if you clean correctly, you're going to have a pretty solid vertical, right? So let's clean lighter and righter, and we'll probably jump higher, right? You know. So again, there is just a lot of things that I've come because I know if it if it if it works for me, the people who are who are, who are able to retain things better than I am will definitely work for them because it's too it's almost too simple for them too too simple to forget hopefully yeah, i mean you know like again yeah no and that's like uh, our, how our brains work right it's like when it's something that's like memorable or catchy or rhymes i mean that's like why for example, uh, say you work for me right yeah and, and and i tell you look our our mission mantra here is preparation protection and you know production right yeah. performance production and right. I'm going to explain to you what those are. But in the end, when you're talking to coach, the tennis coach, because you see the tennis team and they say, well, what's your, what's your all's mission down there? And you say, oh, well, it's preparation, protection and production. 
And then you're going to verbalize that in your own way. You're not going to, right. you're going to talk about preparation means I'm going to sit down with the team and we're going to go over the card and we're going to explain it. And we're going to go through different types of technique. I'm going to sit down with you and we're going to discuss what you think is necessary that I put in the program. We're going mm-hmm. to talk, we're going to, we're going to talk about nutrition, rest, you know, uh, and that stuff can even go into protection too, but we're going to, yeah. we're going to meet with, uh, uh, therapy, you know, our physios to see what types of injury patterns come are very much dominant in these sports and what movements they believe we can bring into our programming, whether it be in the beginning prep, pre-activity prep or specific exercises in the main session. Then we go into protection. Now we build this, we build this model. We've gotten that we've, we've prepared this thing. We've created this, you know, a smorgasbord of stuff, but now we've got to funnel it into this performance model to excuse me this protection model which is your which is your programming and then if that is dialed in right and you put in your conditioning your plyos your sprinting your change of direction now you look at it from a production did we produce a more robust resilient and increased kpi athlete general based athlete and if we've done that and that's where i got a little thrown off then we've done that then that carries over to their coaching staff, which is specific physical preparation. And then that's the fourth P that's performance. Ah, yeah. Yeah. No, it makes, it it makes a lot of sense. And kind of the theme I'm starting to see here. And, you know, part of the reason I asked that question, like has the tier system held up over time? Like the answer makes complete sense because like it's a structure that it sounds like allows for a lot of innovation and experimentation and, uh, you know, like to your point, like personalization based upon the sport where you're trying to make these, you know, these three P's transfer to. Yeah. Like my son, my son's a intern at uh, Iowa state and his, his boss asked him to write a tennis program. And this is his first real delving into of somebody saying, Oh, write a program. And he sent it to me and I was pretty impressed, but there was a few things I would have done different, but my experience is different. Right. And I, and I look at it way different now because I'm so much older. And, but when I looked at it, I was like, okay, the, guy, uh, the guy's thinking. The, the good thing was he's thinking in the right direction. Like he didn't pick ex- – like I said, there's no any bad exercises, but it's the applicability of an exercise. Right, right, right. And I didn't think – I think he did a good job in his needs analysis and more importantly his risk analysis uh, on how he picks certain exercises that where I could see other coaches just – saying, well, we've got to do this because it builds this. But yet there's a lot of different variations that are more safer. Can you talk about the risk risk analysis specifically? Because you, you mentioned yeah, that so a couple let's, times. So let's say, yeah. let's, say, let's just say tennis, for example, right? Okay. Well, their hands are extremely important, which means yeah. their wrists are extremely important. Why would I have them clean? Right, okay. I mean, it's that simple, right? It's, you're just looking for the simplest justification. Yeah, and, and even then, like I would, I would have them front squat, but even then, I'm thinking, like I told my son, if you're gonna have them front squat and have any issues with their wrists, then you got to use straps. Yep. You know, or go into, but nowadays because we've been exposed to some stuff, you can go two kettlebell, uh, anti- what what we call it, right, like right, right, kettlebell squat. Some people go as further, like we go two kettlebell anterior loaded, which you know, goblet. There's a lot of things out there yeah. now that we can mimic. And again, 
we we want our tennis players to be strong, but I, I don't think you know them but not at the risk not, of injuring yeah, them. I, I don't think Max testing them in a front squat or a back <laughs> squat is gonna you know. And again, why? Again, you 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 thinking about the wrist in the front squat, but for them, again, what's other, what's another thing that's very important to them? Shoulders. Yeah. So if I have a back squat, and as like you'll see with a lot of that puts a, a extreme stress on the external rotators. Mm. You know, especially you know, and that's why you see a lot of a lot of the bigger athletes will go all the way out because they don't have the the mobility to put their to get tight. Yeah. So again, if you're putting that much stress on your external rotators, squatting in your does that is that really necessary for the for a tennis player or a golfer? You know, right. And even more so, a golfer. I don't know if I'd ever. I don't know. I I would. I I, I like bilateral squatting just for balance in my program. Okay. But I don't know if I was training a golfer, brand new or not, if I ever would go any further than, you know, uh, some type of kettlebell or goblet squat, unless the golfer mm. was, you know, a Tiger Woods type of person. Give me a little something more to challenge myself. But a right. lot of times that, that training is different. Now they do, you know, lunging and, and rotation work. That would be emphasized a lot. Like instead of Olympic lifting, uh, I, might, I might have them do a tremendous amount of, you know, high impact what I call launching med balls into a wall in a, yeah. in a rotation fashion, because that, that gives me a total body component with explosive com- capacities that is very, very conducive to them being successful. Tennis, yeah. tennis players also. So those are, those are the things like, do I, do I need, uh, do I need a snatch jerk uh, power clean those types of athletes? No, that's, that's risk analysis. There's nothing wrong with those. Yeah. Cause if I'm training a thrower, they're probably doing those exercises, right? No, that makes that makes sense. Well, and actually, I, I, something I would love to, uh, and I know I've I've taken up a lot of your time. That's fine. Um, so, so maybe we can make this uh, one of the last questions. Couple questions I ask you, but you know, for, for you within the tier system, you said when when this was kind of developed, and it sounds like I think still today, right? There there is a maybe uh, the industry split on hey, what's better, total body versus split you know, for you, what, why is it so important that, uh, it, it is a total body approach? And when I say total body, maybe for the yeah, people listening, body, you can explain yeah. it. So, yeah. You, you can explain what uh, I'm trying to say here. <laughs> well, again, like I gave you that simple rationalization before the, yeah. the simple justification is how are most that again, take away uh, power Olympics and, uh, you know, the, the Olympic, uh, you know, people who have, uh, special needs because of injury. Oh, okay. But generally in my population, how, how is most athletics played? Whole, yeah. Whole body. Yeah. Whole body. Yeah. <laughs> For those listening, he's looking at me like, come on. No, but I mean, you knucklehead, but, you know how it's played. But there's a lot of teams that have won a lot of championships doing a four day split. And yeah. that's why I say if, if program programming, it, everybody's got their programmings, right? And everybody's mm. going to stick to what got them there. And I'm going to stick to my. That's why I said uh, the 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 programmer has to have the belief. Uh, what what that looks like does not matter if the athlete can tell. Man, this guy, this is what we got to do. That you can see, this guy is all in on this. We, I mean, we got to. I mean, it's just a, it's just a belief, right? If I believe mm-hmm. in it, it's going to come across much more confidently than if I don't. Like, oh man. 
the last program I did sucked. Let me try this. Uh, and the guys are like, start to ask you questions and you can't answer questions. Right. So there, there's, a, and, 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 and because of the principles of things like, again, West side has West side barbell has a unique four day template. Right. But the principle again, but the cyclical principles of West side fit my model tremendously. Hmm. So again, I don't, uh, I don't utilize a West side template to train my athletes, but the cyclical and the, 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 the rotation of things that they do fits, 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 within. fits my stuff uh, uh, tremendously. I've had tremendous success utilizing the things that Louis Simmons exposed us to, you know, the, the maximal effort, the dynamic effort, the repetitive method. Well, that, that fit some of my, programming model of the tier system mm. with the old heavy moderate light so instead of going heavy moderate light you go maximal effort dynamic effort repetitive method so mm. that's how some of the that's the difference between a basic template and what i call an elite template but the truth is that was the cycle I, that's where i blew it in the book i came up with this traditional template i called it an elite template but really i should have called them traditional sick cycle and the elite cycle and that threw a lot of people off so i apologize uh, when you read that book that'll throw people off because the the exercises are the same it's the intent of the exercise that changes uh, okay so when yeah when you're with a traditional model you know generally if you go heavy moderate light the percentage change but the rep scheme stays the same so for in a general you know the uh, okay. the, the general Example I always use is so if the heavy day is five sets of five at 85, the mm -hmm. moderate day is five sets of five at 75, the light day is five sets of five at 65. Mm -hmm. But if I'm doing the elite model and utilizing maximal effort, repetitive effort, and dynamic effort, that might look like, okay, we're going to do five sets of five at 80%. I mean, that's just, I'm just randomly picking yeah. up for the heavy day. But now on the dynamic day, we're going to do 15 doubles at 45%. And then on the repetitive day, we're going to do three sets of 12. Right. So that, right. that's the manipulation of different means of strength within a concept. And that's but what it still fits. It still fits within it still fits your with, yeah, Because system, all I'm like doing now is, so like the heavy day is tier one. Yep. The, the moderate day is tier two and the light day is tier three. Depending on how I do those cycles, you know, those maximal effort day is tier one, the dynamics tier two and the repetitive tier three. But yeah. The, and then that fluctuates throughout the different tiers as we go. So then we're like, it could be, you know, maximal effort squat tier one, dynamic effort bench tier two, and then a volume repetitive effort, like a clean pull. For tier three right so it all it all it all flows it's again it's a flow it's ebb and flow it's how things match yeah and, that and, makes and, no, that makes sense though so it's and again it was i was fortunate that coach thompson allowed me some creative freedom or this never exists mm. uh, be, and 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 again that so he deserves a lot of thanks for his trust in me when he hired me to take these sports and and again, it was it was a it was the combination of I had creative freedom, and Coach Doherty 
challenging me without challenging me by saying I'm tired of doing the old football programs. Yeah. So the tier system was built for Olympic. It was built based off of my first interactions in college with women's sports and not in uh, Olympic sports, what they called non-revenue back then. Cause my, yeah. my two years I coached in high school, I was using a four day split cause that's what I knew. And I was, yeah. oh, okay. I, I was using it. Uh, I was highly influenced by, it's not what I knew. It's what I believed what was supposed to be done. Yeah. Uh, when, when I was in college, like I said, I, we were a three day a week program, high intensity training with some power lifts and, and Olympic lifts mixed in. But because of the conflicts between the coach and the strength coach, I may have done hang cleans five times in five years. And it was on huh. our, and it was on our card every week. So it was one, yeah. it was one of those deals, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, and you learn, that's where I learned to justify stuff. Mm. Because when a coach calls you in and asks you a question about your program, you better have a answer. You right. Can't, you can't him and ha. Like, oh, what do you mean? <laughs> not gonna work. It's not. Yeah, there's got to have a concrete yeah, reason why that's It's not going to work that way. So again, you learn a lot from that. But when, but when I went to start coaching, because of what I what I had studied was predominantly most programs were four day splits, and I so I. Mm. So I studied uh, heavily. Uh, coach John Gamble at that time was the strength coach at Virginia, and Mike Gentry was the strength coach at Virginia Tech at that time. And I studied their programs extensively, and my mm. my program was built on that on their two uh, uh, programming. And I did yeah. that for two years of high school. And like I said, when I went to Boise State, well, then when I went back to Wake Forest, excuse me, for uh, before I went to Boise State. I was back in that atmosphere of the three day a week type of work, but I, I was training some guys individually and we were doing a little bit more uh, percentage based stuff with them. Cause I had learned more about percentages. And then, yeah. and then I got, you know, then again, when I got to Boise state in July of 1991 is when I started working with these athletes. And then by 1992, the first, revisions and additions of the tier system started making its way into Boise state athletics. And now, hmm. you know, 30 something years later, man, we're still going strong. We have a lot of people who have had a lot of success with it. Uh, we're trying, I'm trying to do some things educationally wise now, because a lot of people like we talked about say they're doing the tier system and they're breaking some of the integrity of it. The integrity mm-hmm. is the template. Like you, you can, you can manipulate a lot of things like we talked about, but if you start messing around with the order of the exercises, you're no longer doing the tier system. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, again, I, I, we could probably talk about this all night, but that, that order within the tier system, you know, what, what is the, the method, uh, so to speak, to that, to that madness? Yes. Yeah, right? so like, like, like out, why is that like, so important? Yeah. So everything's based off of athleticism, right? So, yeah. and, and, in the, and in the case, and at this point in time, we'll just keep it where it's at. And again, you can and you can manipulate the days. I mean, we're, we've gone for a while, but let's just say this. Yeah. Total body movement, like we talked about, to me has a high value in athletics. Some people yeah. don't believe in Olympic lifts. I get it. Uh, I believe it, if it's done properly, you can do that. So total body is number one. Like that's your number. So if I could only do one exercise, I would probably pick some version of a total body lift. Mm-hmm. 
because it would it would get a lot of the components. Right, right, right. Then, what's the next most important in athletics? Your legs. So yeah. we'll do that. So so the first day of the week, I want to hit total body. Well, the second most important thing for most athletics is lower body, your legs. Right. And that's going to be two. And then, okay, and then upper body is just a feeder. Ah, okay. Three. So that's your order across the – that's how the that's how the weekly start, the week started. You come in and you do your total body like, on Monday. What is the most important thing yeah. that we need to hit if we hit nothing else? Right. And then what's the next day? What's the next day? So then yeah. you take that. So you got T-L-U going across. Well, then you just run it down on the same session. So Monday, mm. T-L-U. Yep. Wednesday, L-U-T. Friday, U-T-L. And then if you – Based off the heavy, moderate, light, you go from a heavy to a light. Got it. And then, and then you go, and then like so, you're, uh, it, it, you're always, you're always the next day on a light, except for the upper body day because you have two days off for the weekend. Right. And, right. And that's how you. And that's how we manipulated it, and and it worked. Yeah. And, no, that makes, and that actually was a. Really and then, so, every, so, everything, <laughs> so everything's based off of the three by three. And then to add more work, you just start to cycle over. So we went three, five, and I actually had a seven. But what I found out on the seven was a lot of ancillary work. And hmm. now that's become things we've talked about, like posterior chain and things that we do in the pre-activity prep. So there's really two sections to a daily plan. There's the pre-activity preparation. I don't call it a warm-up because it's not – warming up is very – Let me. I'm going to go walk a lap, right? Yeah, if, if you don't mind explaining this, this is, this is one of the things I wanted to definitely get to. So I, I would so, love to hear uh, this. Pre-activity preparation gives it purpose. Ah. So what you're doing is you're, you're prepping the body. And it, and it has the same basic – like you remember like warm-up, improved core, core temperature, you know yeah. – uh, lube up tendons and ligaments. I mean, you know, you, you've seen them, all that stuff. It's the same principles, but now it's very specific, though, to the programming of the strength. Like a lot of times, I'm sure like even in your day, before you went in the weight room, you'd go out and do high knees and, you know, you'd line up like it's going, like you're going to do track. And you do, and it would be consistent. It would be yeah. the same stuff, so no now, matter no matter so, what was going to be the yeah, lift so that you were going to go in and do. We're going to do what I call uh Reset work will be on your own. That's kind of like mobility work. Foam, okay. Foam roll if you need it. Uh, Got it. That would be stuff I would recommend. If you really believe you need to do some basic mobility and, and get your body uh, joint centration and all that other stuff and do some rocking and crawling and some of those uh, primal moving stuff, oh, that wow. would be something that you. we – we may do that on the field for field work, but we won't do it on – that would be something I would tell you that's something you need to jump in before we start your session and get your phone rolling and your self myofascial release stuff done. Yeah, but we're, yeah. we're going to come in and we're going to do what I, I follow Mike Robertson's seven R's. So he's got okay. this organization of seven R's. I've added a bunch. So you're going to do what I call reboot. And for the lack of a better term, reboot is like activation work. And okay. that's stuff that you're going to, we're going to add in with some banded movements. So it could be a, some hip, hip, ab and ad work. It could be a lateral lunge. It could be a hip lift. It could mm. be a vertical pull apart. But it's something banded to give you a little bit of resistance 
and to help just get those things moving, like reboot, refire, just just get them woke up. Just wake, yeah. up, just wake these things up. And then and is the intention of it? It's it's like the 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 depending on what, it's, it's, it's based off can of change. The, based off of what the what the emphasis of the day is. Got it. Uh, makes then, total, makes then, we're, sense. then we're going to do uh, root work, so your core. Yeah. And then depending on the athlete and the sport, we will do some type of reinforcement or neck work. And mm. depending on the athlete or the sport will depend on what that volume is. If you're in high volume, high volatile, high collision sports, we're going to emphasize that more than if you're non-contact tennis golf. But right. there's something to be done about posture alignment so it all starts, you know, here down. So right, we're right. going to do so. I don't want everybody to have 20 inch necks, but I want them to be, again, from a posture and mechanics standpoint, you know, especially nowadays when we all have what, uh, you know, the tech yeah, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm doing it right now. So, so and I'm on camera. What am I? <laughs> so we're going to do that. And then we're going to do some readiness work, which is going to be some high volume, uh, lather up types of stuff that are, are going to get you again prepared to yeah. enter the main session then the main session depending if it's three tiers or five we're going to knock out five and, and we're going to we're going to wrap it up how, how long how long does this pre-activity prep typically take just for, for folks? me <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, if, if it's done it i do mine in blocks so every one of the things that i talk to you about i do very specific so i'm going to do my root by itself, my reset by itself, my my reboot by itself. Well, I combine. Ah, okay. But for the athletes, that'll be a circuit. So they'll go ah. through like uh, root, reboot, readiness, reinforcement. And then they'll come around and do another cycle of exercises. So it generally comes three. It'll come out to be about three X, three rounds. Okay. Four distinct categories, 12 unique exercises. Oh, cool. And then, like I said, de- and then depending on the sport, the reinforcement or the neck work could, yeah. be, could be additional work. Well, and and uh, and maybe this is a, a good segue because I, I really appreciate how much time you've taken to, to explain all this with me. But you, you have some awesome videos on your channel on YouTube uh, where actually you can watch you take athletes through it. Um, and I, and I've enjoyed watching that I as think well. That's my son going through all his, is reps. that your son? That's Are what you, I wanted to ask. Okay, so wait, I've got two YouTubes. Are you talking about the inside the house YouTube? I'm talking about inside the house. And then, uh, there's the, uh, what is it? The big, big house, man. seven, seven. I think so. Yeah, yeah. So my youngest son is a lot on that, but, but if you go, if you want to see what a tier system workout looks like, or what a training yeah. session, I should call it training session looks like. On the inside the house with Joe Ken, I think it is Joe Big House. I think, yeah, house. that's the one. Yeah. There's a there's a four layer deal that has four extra his exact programming he did this summer for throwing. That's what I watched. That's yeah. what I watched. So yeah, and that's through, great. And, and we sped up the pre-activity prep, but you can see all the different movement. And that and that'll take a you know, what I would call a highly qualified athlete, okay. uh, less than 15 minutes. Yeah, perfect. So, so you're humping. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I'm going to link to all that too, because I think it'll help people visualize a lot of the stuff we've talked about, uh, as well, which will be great. So, um, I mean, look, I would love to sit here and, and talk strongman with you as well. Cause I know that's another, another yeah, passion, I'm, uh, which I, which I share I'm the weakest strongman in the world. 
<laughs> I'm, on, I'm on the semi. Now I'm even weaker, so I don't even know if strong. Will you, will you, uh, will you do any competitions, or is it just purely no, like I'm, love I'm, training? I, did, in that I way? did one competition in strongman, okay. so I can say I've actually competed as yeah. a as a strongman competitor. Okay, there uh, we go. Actually, uh, yeah. So I did that in 2009. All right, as a master's athlete. I've competed in powerlifting. I've not competed in weightlifting. Okay. Uh, powerlifting, uh, I did my last meet a couple of years ago because I was chasing a goal of 500 at 50. To oh, wow. deadlift 500 again at 50 years old. That's a and great I, goal. I missed it at 50 and came back and did it the next year at the same meet at 51. Oh, awesome. Yeah, so so. L- let me let me ask you this. What what cuz I I love eh, you know, we didn't talk about it as much today, but I know that uh, you were big on actually getting under the bar, letting your guys see you put in the work. Um, you know, what what gets you fired up now? Like what what are the goals that are keeping you uh excited about what you're doing for yourself? I I'm I'm around athletes all day. You have to be young at heart, right? Yeah. Uh, age is a limiting factor i mean let's not now i have the utmost respect like i'm a big brian shaw fan because brian worked with us at arizona state but my my oh cool i didn't know that my true like really if you want to call them heroes in strongman are mark felix and nick best because mark's my age and nick best is 51 years old and you watch them guys and it's like i have the utmost respect because I know what my strength capabilities are right now. It yeah. is it is ridiculous what, the, what the, 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 those guys are still oh, qualifying for world's strongest man. It's unbelievable. So uh, I, I look at it like my my goals are to inspire people who are more like me because those guys are exceptional. That hey, I, w- I was an ex athlete, love to compete. I, I've always loved to train, so I'm going to. Right now, it's a little bit tougher because I don't have a purpose. There's not a goal. Like, I'm not compete. So a lot of variations all the time. But I'm trying to train as heavy as I can go based off what my body feels that day. Like, ah, okay. some days I can move better than others. Range of motion in, like, a, a deadlift is better than others. So I'll do something. But then the next time around, I might not feel the same. So i got to flip it up. But I try to train uh, – I don't, I don't think I train maximally anymore. And that's not because yeah. I don't want to. It's just at this point, like last year, I had a, the, uh, this year has been a, uh, 2020 was, uh, it was, had nothing to do with COVID. It just wasn't a good year for me to get strong. But 2019, man, I did some things that, uh, even at any age, I did a 500 for, for, I did 500 for a triple on a high handle. Trap, oh, wow. on a trap bar belt list that I'd never done in my whole life. Belt no list. kidding. At, at 49? Fifth, no, 53. <laughs> oh, at 53. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I, 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 uh, I safety bar squatted 405 for three. I, okay. I hadn't done that since I was powerlifting in like 2000, in the 2000s. And yeah. uh, the other, what was the other, there was one other thing I did that I can't remember right now. There was, golly, what can I remember? There was one other thing I did that I was like, damn, those, I don't know. Oh, I did a, like a, a RDL vert pull deadlift. I did 315 for eight with a 52 pound of chain. And that, that was my most impressive of the year. Oh man. And uh, I've got I feel, my hamstrings hurt thinking yeah, about so that. I, one. Um, I was very happy about that. And now it's kind yeah. of a, Lot, lot different right now training. So it's hard. 
Uh, I'm looking to, I'm always reevaluating myself. Like I said, I don't want to call it rehab. I like to call it just a rebuild. I'm trying to find different ways to rebuild stuff and, and try to maintain as strong as, uh, and again, strength now is very, it's a relative term. Hmm. There's not an, like, I was never super strong anyway. Like I was a class two powerlifter. That's what I was. I mean, Joe average right off the bat Hmm. class two. That's a, when you look at the, the structures of the classifications in powerlifting, the class two lifter is an average lifter. That's what I was, but I love to compete. And I was a big believer that even to this day, if I feel like I want to max deadlift, whether it's 100 pounds, 200 pounds, 300 pounds, 400 pounds, I'll probably go to a meet to do it just so it was done. That's yeah. just me. I don't, that's my thing. I'm not yeah. telling anybody to do it, but I do believe you have to train whatever that means, right? You have to show your athletes that you're still putting in the work. Hmm. What that work is, it, it, it's up to it's you. It's up to you. Um, yeah. For me, I'm a, I'm a power lifter by trade. So I'm going to train that similar to that model. And then, you know, like I, I do of some good morning work, terrible at it, but I wouldn't, my athletes are not going to do good mornings. We're going to train different modalities to strain the, to train the erectors in a, in a more conducive risk-free environment because that's Hmm. a very unique exercise you've got to be you got to you got to have your head in the game for good mornings and like i said most athletes number one goal isn't to lift weights so their heads are in the game but they're not in the game a lot of times in the weight room so you got to be right you got to be smart on your choices so i I just you know like i said i just I'm, I'm, I like, like when I, I show people, like if you watch my stuff now on Instagram, there's no ridiculous amount of load, but what I'm showing is, Hey man, I'm training hard and I'm, you know, 50 plus years old. I'm going to be 55, you know, this year, this year I'll be 55. And that's what it's all about. Like just training, just training hard and just proving that, Hey man, you got to put the work in. Yeah. Oh, it's perfect. Well, and, and you know, that, that's a, that's a good segue here. Cause you, you do put out a lot of educational content. Um, where, where are the best places that I can point folks, uh, you know, to what you're doing today? Yeah. So I like to, I mean, I say so a lot, but, uh, my, my website is bighousepower.com. Mm-hmm. It's, it used to be subscriber based. Now it's, uh, all the content's free. Oh, awesome. The, the only difference is that you'll see they'll say on the house and they'll say inside the house. Well, inside the house used to be the subscriber based. Yeah. Excuse me. So to activate that material, I do ask for an email. Yeah. But everything except for what's on the store is free content. Awesome. Uh, then it's uh, at Big House Power is my Twitter and Instagram feeds. Yeah, and then you've and then you've got the two YouTube channels. Yeah, don't the the Big House seventy seven is, uh, is not defunct because I'd lose all those videos. But it's my personal one; it hasn't been updated. But the the one now that I'm trying to promote more is the Inside the House with Joe yeah. Big House Ken one. That's the one that we're trying to get. And again, it's hard, like you know, putting together a podcast. But when you when you oh, yeah, when, when you're when you're a one man show, you have these delusions of grandeur that you're going to put all this content out. But you're the editor, you're the talent, right? <laughs> you're the filmer, and that's why right. sometimes you do these films, and it's like, man, this stuff doesn't look good. But you don't have anybody working the camera. You're doing still, you know, like you you got to move it here so you get this shot. Then you got to it, it, it's and oh, and, and, I don't, and it takes a lot. And when you train by yourself, which is not 
conducive to a lot of people, but it's just the way it is for me because of mm-hmm. my schedule. You, 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 I don't like to stop and reset stuff because I do a lot of things on tempo and time. Right. And, and so it, it's, it's, it's crazy. And I feel like I, you know, I talk to more people and then you find out they got a team. And I'm like, okay, no wonder why your content is right, on exactly. out the roof and your your followers are up uh, two million because you're you're knocking this out and you got some people behind the scenes and right uh, right now I'm the guy behind the scenes. Yeah, well, you're you're putting out great stuff and like I said, I mean, I, I've had a lot of fun watching it uh, over the last week. A lot of the recent stuff I that you did. It. So I'll I'll make sure to link to everything. Um, and again, just. Thank you. This, this has been a lot of fun. And I appreciate the question. Like I said, man, I appreciate anybody who's willing to listen. I mean, we kind of went all over the place, but I thought we had some good chats. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Glenn, mommy. You better go ask mommy, daddy. <laughs> okay. Hey, Son. Hey, Ken. Oh, wow. Uh, another long one. Yeah, that was really long. <laughs> he was very entertaining, though, so it it didn't feel as long as it is. I know, I know. And you know what? Uh, we haven't done it yet. Maybe this would have been the one to do it, but uh, it, that one could have been divided up into two episodes. Yeah, it really could have, actually. And it was, like, very much, which I loved, by the way. Let me start by saying that. I had a lot of fun talking to this guy. Mm-hmm. And I'm probably going to say this in the intro, but, like, this is the type of guy that I'm like, I would love to go have a beer with this guy. Yeah. I don't know if he drinks, but if he did... <laughs> I would buy Joe one. Uh, yeah, man. I, I love to like hearing his background. Yeah. You know, like oftentimes when we have someone on who's an expert, uh, it's very easy to just get very like tactical or in depth on like a specific topic, which often mm-hmm. I think is like, why a lot of people do show up mm-hmm. uh, and listen to that episode. But every once which in a while, did. the second half was very, like, yeah, I have trouble comprehending some of the things he was talking about. Yeah. No, you're, you're right. The, the, the first half was very much his background, his thought process, how he like came to kind of create this system, which as he discussed has like stood the test of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, what now? Almost 30 years later, yeah, crazy. folks are still using it. You know, looking back, I almost feel like I, I we did this in college. I, really? I'm going to have to go talk to my old strength coach. Yeah. Um, because as he was describing some of these things, it was making me think back to the way that we used to lift. Um, or at least the way things were organized throughout the week. And I think we lifted three days a week as well. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I just loved kind of hearing his story. Yeah. Right. He's very entertaining. Um, very entertaining, very motivating. Mm -hmm. Good storyteller. Good storyteller. Tough to be motivating when you're one-on-one a podcast. But like I said, if you're a listener and you enjoyed listening to him, look up some of his past speeches. He'll get you fired up. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure he has zero issue getting his players fired up. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, But yeah, man, what a good one. Okay, so let's start. There was one quote that you and I both loved. Oh, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah. Which I loved. That one right there. And listen, it was actually really hard for me to do these takeaways. Uh, One, because I can't find my notes. Two, (laughs) I listened to this one twice. There was so many nuggets just dropped so quickly. Yeah. You know, like a lot of times when you talk to someone, there's like a big like, oh, wow, that was like really profound. And then we discussed it for 10 minutes. Like as he spoke, you could just hear like years of experience Mm -hmm. and just every little thing that he said. And I was like, oh, wow, that was great. Oh, that was great, too. That's a really good point. Yeah. Um, But this one really stuck with me. And so I think when we were talking about it, it was really applicable 
to lifting, mm-hmm. right? I think you was talking about in the context of, look, just because these exercises exist doesn't mean we should necessarily use them. Right. But talking about tying it back to like just life. Yeah. Like that's a really good one. Like just because you can do something doesn't mean that you necessarily should. Yeah. What's an example that comes to mind for you? What is an example? Uh, boy, I've got nothing. <laughs> But no, I mean, there's a, there's a million times, like just because, you know, you can, let's see, like, let's say it's something at work. Um, again, I can't come up with a single example. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking like, just cause you can sit around all day and like watch TV and eat smart pop doesn't mean you should. Okay. Diet. That's a great (laughs) one. Just cause you can have ice cream doesn't mean you should. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm fasting right now. So all I'm really thinking about is food. How are you? How are you doing with your fast? It's only day one. So I'm like, I really can't be complaining because I'm fine, but we'll see. Check in in five days. I would say for you. Yes, you're probably fine. If what what time is it right now? Three, 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 forty five. If I had gone till three forty five without eating, uh, our, our relationship might be in jeopardy. We wouldn't be doing this right now. No, I'd probably be hiding. Yeah. I would be hiding from all human interaction yeah. because I would be so hangry by now. You'd be living out in the woods by the end of the week. Yeah. I will do a fast at some point. Mm-hmm. I will. I'm down to do it. I might have to start small. Yeah. I might have to go lock myself in a cabin in the woods and just like ride that thing out <laughs> while you guys go do something fun. Um, okay. Sorry. I, it was a great takeaway. I can't think of a single example. People, Sorry. People listening Sorry I put are, you on the spot. No. Usually you put me on the spot and I'm like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why. It's been a busy day. Um, but yeah, I think that was a really good one. Right. So I guess, you know, whether it's work, personal life, et cetera, just because you can do something, it probably pays to like run it through that second filter of like, is this something I actually should be doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and in, with regards to training, it's like, Hey, look, I can go, I can go power clean. Right. Like I, like he was giving that example. I can put all these golfers and tennis players through a traditional like power clean program. Uh, yeah. but should I do that? Is that the most responsible thing? Is that going to actually get us closer to the desired outcome? Right. Um, right. And then in the example that he gave, it's like, well, or is that actually going to put them at greater risk of injury? And it's like the cost benefit analysis of doing that. It just doesn't make sense. Right. Mm-hmm. So I really enjoyed that one, even though I had no tangible examples because you put me on the spot. <laughs> we should really start talking through these more. Um, so sorry. That's okay. Okay. Should we talk about his mission mantra? Yeah, let's do that one. Go ahead. Preparation um, protection and performance. Yeah. Which I thought was like the protection part was really cool because he was like, then my athletes can go and get, go all out, give everything and not worry about like the possibility of getting hurt. Yeah. Cause they focus a lot on like protecting them and r- reducing the risk of injury. Yeah. And what, what I took away from that too, was he has a very clear understanding of his role and job. His Mm -hmm. job is to get those guys in the best possible shape so that when they get on the field to learn like their skill or their whatever, their sport specific, uh, you know, I don't know, knowledge, like they are in the best physical place to do that. Yeah. He doesn't like say like, hey, I'm I'm in here to, you know, my strength training alone is going to like what's going to win us championships. My job is to prepare these guys so that when they get to the coaches, they are in a place to learn and perform like within the system that like the coaches are going to execute. Yeah, exactly. Uh, But I thought that was like really important for a couple reasons. 
um, one, like a really good understanding of what your role is within the team, right? Like he's crystal mm-hmm. clear on what his role is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other thing that I really liked that he said is like the mantra is so important because oftentimes, and I've worked at companies like this, um, my current company actually has a pretty good mission statement, but you know, mission statements can start to get really lengthy. Yeah. And when you ask them like, oh, what's your company's mission statement? People are like, ah, it's something about this and that. And, but he's like, no, he's like, keep it simple, mm-hmm. you know, make it so it's easily understood and digested and then allow the people who have to go out and execute that, put it into their own words when they go to explain it to somebody. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I feel like he does a really good job with like keeping things simple and enabling yeah. people to like execute. Yeah. And that was kind of, you know, to, to go back to the first takeaway. Sorry, I feel like I'm dominating this one right now. Oh, I mean, this is <laughs> your area for sure. Okay. So okay. I'm glad you're taking the lead. No, but I, I, I felt, you know, going back to just because uh, you can doesn't mean you should, right? When we start talking about strength training, speed training, I mean, there are so many directions that you can go. And you can start with really basic foundational stuff and you can get all the way out on this fringe of like really new, innovative, mm-hmm. highly specialized approaches. Um, you know, and sometimes it's like if you stay really focused on what your goal is, like there's a place probably for all of those things in the spectrum, right? But it, it you have to make a decision ultimately with the time you have, like what approach you're going to take, what tool are you going to use? Yeah. Right. So I could run all my guys through this crazy band workout where we're doing like a really specific exercise, but it's like, is that going to be the best use of everyone's time? Like I should yeah. probably focus on something more foundational because I just need to get them in a good spot to when they get in the field, they're still healthy. They feel good. And we've improved on something. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you had a question about total body. Yeah. What exactly? Cause he was like, um, I think, I guess you asked the question if there's like one workout you could do or pe- some, he said people mm-hmm. ask him the question, if there's one workout you could do for the rest of the life, what would it be? Yeah. And he said total body. I didn't know exactly. Like, is there like, is he referring to like certain exercises that hit every major muscle group? Or? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's exactly what okay. it is. So that's a good question. So like, let's say, you know, okay, bench press is an easy one. Like when you go in and do bench, like for the most part, that is like an upper body exercise, yeah. right? If we're overgeneralizing, right? Um, you know, so that's like, hey, your chest, your pecs, your back, uh, your triceps, right? You would hit all that, but you'd basically be for the most part, and there's people who would be like, no, you use your lower body and bench. I get it. But mm. you're neglecting your lower body, right? Or at least a lot of your lower body. Whereas an exercise, like we talked about cleans a lot, and it doesn't have to be a clean, but a clean is something that incorporates your whole body. Uh, and do you know what I'm talking about when I no, say what's power a clean? clean? The power clean is the one where basically like a, a true pl- power clean from the floor is similar to a deadlift. You start with the barbell on the ground. Uh-huh. And then you throw it up over your head. Yeah, well, that'd be a snatch. Yeah, but it's it's that motion. It's that explosive, like, you know, you, you flip the hips up and you pull really hard with the upper body. Um, and, and you get the bar onto right? your chest and then you sink under it and then you like stand up with it. Like that would be a power clean. Oh, okay. I see. I see. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah but like, yeah. that's an example where like, I mean, just all the things I, I, I listed, like there's like, you know, there's the knee flexion and then there's like the hip hinge that he was talking about and the explosion of the hips. But then there's also the shrugging action, which gets like the traps and then you're pulling through, you know, so that, yeah. that one lift incorporates so many muscle groups. I think that's what he was saying. Like if I'm really short on time, what are you looking at? I've got a visitor. Oh no. Kenny, baby, one minute. <laughs> 
Kenny, buddy, we'll, we'll be right out. That's uh, our son making a guest appearance. That's why we usually do these at bedtime. Um, but that's an example of why he's like, look, if you give me five minutes, that's all I have that day. Like we're going to do a total body exercise because mm-hmm. I'm going to be able to hit the most things uh, with that one exercise. Right. That that would be why you would use a total body exercise. Gotcha. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I just didn't. I, I didn't. Exactly. I've never heard that term before. Total body exercise. Yeah. I think it's just when in the sense that he's saying it, it's about that one exercise incorporates like the total body mm-hmm. versus, you know, you know, the old, uh, like squats, yeah, squat or like the, the, the squats, not even a great one, but like the leg extension, mm-hmm. like that's going to hit like your quads, you know, that machine yeah. that you see all the old people on, <laughs> um, that's like going to isolate like one specific muscle in one specific part of your gotcha. body. So if you're really short on time, like that's probably not going to give you the best bang for your buck. Mm-hmm. Um, The other thing that I really liked is he seemed very open to new ideas and approaches. And for someone who has a very well-known system attached to their name, he was, he, he was the first one to say like, Hey, this is the structure with which I recommend, right. That I think makes the most sense. But like, whether you're a middle school coach helping guys who have just walked into the weight room for the first time, and maybe that's too young, maybe middle school is a bad example. Mm-hmm. If you're a high school coach all the way to some like elite specialist working with professional athletes, it's like, do what you know, you know, mm-hmm. do what you're comfortable with. It's your program, but this is the structure to work within. Um, and I thought it was telling, you know, he mentioned a lot of other names of people that he's still learning from. Yeah. It, it, for someone who's gotten as high in their profession uh, it's really cool to see that there's still like an open-mindedness and a willing to learn um, because I think the flip side of that yeah. is someone who's just so ingrained in their own way of doing things yeah. and their own approach. That it probably has a lot to do with why he's gotten so far. Probably, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was the head strength coach of the year in the NFL. I mean, it's like, yeah. as far as strength and conditioning, I don't know how much. doesn't get much. I don't know how much better it gets. Yeah, more elite. Uh, let's see. What else do we have? We hit total body and we hit openness change to growth. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, the big takeaway for me was the fact that he has operated at the highest level and his message is still like, keep it simple, be effective and efficient, um, you know, be, be open to innovating, but also like try to be really conscious of ultimately like what is your role? What's the outcome you're trying to achieve? And are the things that you're doing, are they going to like put either yourself or the people that you're working with in a position to succeed? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, which makes a lot of sense. Sure does. So what else? What do you want to talk about? Oh, geez. I don't know. I feel like you're very uncomfortable that there's a, that, that we're recording these on video. No, I'm just worried about Kenny. Oh. You're right. It's better to do these at night when the kids are asleep. Cause yeah. I'm like, what's a little rascal up to out there? <laughs> Never know what uh, well, we'll go put him in timeout as soon as we get out of here. <laughs> Everything will be fine. But uh, yeah, another another really good one. I hope people enjoy that one. Yep. I know. I think people will. I think it's very entertaining. Yeah. Um, we've got a couple really good ones. I'm not going to give away what order because quite frankly, I don't know what order they're going to come out. But a, a couple mm-hmm. other notable strength coaches uh, and a really cool new perspective uh, that someone's going to bring to the table about life after sport, which I'm really excited about. Oh, yeah, that is exciting. Yeah. It's going to be gonna, a good one. Because I think no matter what level you've competed at, professional, collegiate, et cetera, like once that ends, it's a huge life change. 
Yeah. And I think that's something a lot of people relate to. So yeah, looking forward to that one. I don't know what else you got. Anything else? That's all she wrote. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Alrighty. That's okay. All right. Well, hey, thank you for listening, everybody. And we will talk to you next week. See you next week. See you next week.